Hello. Hey, it was it was as simple as that. Who would have guessed? Just that simple, my man. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm eating some um, fresh blackberries and uh, Greek yogurt for probiotic health, and I got a cup of coffee, so I'm I'm feeling good, man. Oh my gosh! Wow, you transferred the goodness of that scene just directly into my brain. Nothing beats some fresh fruit and a good cup of coffee to start out the middle of your day. <laughs> Amen. You know, that is a message that I do not mind immortalizing one bit. Yep. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to join you on the coffee train. Uh, I was going to have this later in the day, but since you're cracking in some coffee, I want to get on that same wavelength. So I've got this uh, nitro cold brew that was in the fridge beautiful beautiful i'm gonna i'm gonna pop it right now and we're all gonna enjoy a very pleasant sound Whew. wow i mean how do you beat that man it'd it's be like, hard to do so it's the pleasure of opening like a soda or a cold beer after a long day of work but you can do it in the morning because you're starting your day <laughs> got all the beauty and uh, health benefits of coffee, which I assume there are some I'm not aware of, but. <laughs> right, right. Of course. I mean, there have to be some, some feels this good. Somebody has got to find some excuse to say <laughs> this is healthy. Right. Yes, I agree. Um, how's the sound quality on your end? Is it, is it good enough? I had a, a microphone, but I don't know how to hook it up to my phone. So you're coming in crystal clear here. Okay, good. Well, we'll just, we'll just keep it that way then. Oh, yeah, man. And I think ultimately the lower phi, the better. Mm. Very true. It's got the hominess of like, a, you know, just a regular phone conversation. So I like that. Yeah, well, more than that, it just it allows us to speak more freely, because if you think about it in the future, the AI is going to be able to just take any garbled recording on any medium. And just mm -hmm. as long as it is then recorded to digital or whatever the equivalent of the future whatever the digital of the future is yep. it will be able to it will be just like in the cop movies where they're like enhance enhance, enhance and the picture gets sharper like right now that's science fiction but in the future that's science fact which means that it's irrelevant what kind of quality your music is recorded on in terms of its immortality within the human race across right. generations that's really interesting actually there's something to be said for the fidelity of, of an art form, but not just in terms of the recording itself, but actually the medium that it's recorded to. And like everybody thinks, oh, well, everything's digitized, so it lasts forever. But I mean, if anybody who's had a computer for a certain period of time, especially like a solid state laptop or something, realizes that even those mediums degrade over time. Uh, and, you know, you lose speed and hardware's, you know, the hardware fails. So I think, I think that's interesting. Like, and like, obviously like the most immediate version of that in terms of a musical parallel is CDs or like LPs, vinyl. Uh, you know, if you heat up an old wax recording too much, it, it returns to the candle wax, you know, it's no longer usable. So. Exactly. I wonder how these digital recordings are going to be viewed one day. 
when we're just beaming stuff around on light rays and everything like that. Yeah, I think it will be, well, it depends on the specific society that looks at it. Like, I think that in the absence of a currency that's associated with a nation on Earth that, like, pretty quickly globalizes all of society. This is, you know, moving forward decades, centuries, however long it takes. But just, like, the natural order of things, since humans naturally uh, learn to coexist, you know, make new languages and then learn the shared language you know a pigeon becomes a creole becomes a language and and so forth like you know like the waves right i think that yeah i think people naturally uh eventually will align according to whatever their deepest held value is you know like uh ancient greece it's like the way but the way that we were taught it like athens was all about the goddess athena and they were like yeah we're gonna read books and we're gonna pray and we're gonna do research and so the athenians have their own history and they look at the past and they're like wow we put these things up on a pedestal these events in history and we look at them in a specific kind of artistic way Hmm. but then if you go over to sparta which is supposed to be and again like i am butchering and generalizing because i'm not responding to any historical truth because who knows i went to you know through the american school system so i was trained who knows you know but i learned how to think somewhere along the way and there are certain things that the human spirit naturally loves the human spirit really likes for there to be a city where people read books and pray all the time and then a different city where people are always preparing for war right that's sparta and they like to have a whole different city where people have different values that you don't even know about and then an even more distant city where it's you know we love that idea yeah i think that's i i agree that's kind of a generalized idea but i've seen it in practice when i was living in korea the value set is fundamentally different oh tell me about that it's hard to get yeah so First of all, I, you know, we ran into each other on the street a while back after I had returned from teaching over there. And I haven't really updated you on that, so I might as well tell you. Um, I graduated from USF, um, decided to pivot away from a music degree and get a degree in philosophy and religious studies, which, you know, we're already, hey, we're already entering that territory, which is perfect. My, my years of training can, can come in handy, maybe, if I can remember any of it. Um, and then got, you know, was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Did I want to keep up with the gig lifestyle and playing music, you know, six nights a week, that sort of thing, making making peanuts, but, you know, enjoying what I do. Or did I want to do something totally different? And I had never been away from my home, which I, I consider Florida my home. You know, Tampa wasn't where I was born, but still in the greater, you know, culture of Florida. Um and got offered a job in Korea. I sent off an uh, uh, application to the Ministry of Education over there, which is like their Department of Education, and then lived there for six months and returned home in January of 2019. It's crazy to think it's been over a year since I've been back. But yeah, so I lived over there and taught. Um, and it was just totally different. Like there, there was just things like something as subtle as like facial expressions and uh, body language that you take for granted 
that you can pick up on the people that you are familiar with and that are kind of seated in the culture that you're familiar with. And over there, I was like foreigner in every sense of the word. The, I think the only point of contact that I had with my students, I had like, you know, we talked about Fortnite and the Avengers and stuff like that. So we had pop culture contacts, but in general, I think the only reason that I had a really good point of contact is because America has had such a huge involvement in Korea after the wars, during and after the wars. So there's a lot of American soft power that was exerted in Korea. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a really neat experience, like food, music, everything was totally different. Their value set was totally different. Um, things that I would never even consider to be a faux pas or something that that's looked highly upon in day-to-day -day activities suddenly came to like the forefront of everyday life. Um, and that was, aside from the many other things and the great people I met, that was one of the best parts of that uh, experience, that immersion experience in education I got over there. Yeah, so you feel like you got a different vantage yeah point. i went and from i went directly into it you weren't there was you know you got you were able to get the social bends so to speak of going from one pressure one set of values directly into another yeah yeah and without having any knowledge up front i knew so little about korea you know a lot of people dream about oh i want to go live and teach overseas so i was around other people my age that had learned to speak korean and they had learned you know a lot about the culture. They watch K-dramas and K-pop and all that stuff. And I knew nothing. So I was just walking in, a little Southern boy from Alachua, Florida, and uh, had to, you know, you know, become a social chameleon and start picking up on those things. And thankfully, everybody that I met was very with me when I made mistakes. The first time I walked into my apartment, I committed one of the biggest social faux pas that you'll see in a lot of uh, East East Asian countries. And I walked into the apartment. I was like, oh, cool. This is where I'm going to be living. And I didn't take my shoes off at the, you know, the precipice of the, the, the door and just walked right into the house. And the guy that let me <laughs> in, he was like, oh, my God, this stupid American. <laughs> and he's like, get over here. He shouted at me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. So I took my shoes off and. You know, something as small as that is something you got to get used to. So, yeah, I went from, if we're just talking about societies that have different value sets or different assumed responsibilities for people, I went from the culture of Sparta to Athens and had to adjust in a split second. Wow. It was a really neat time, man. I, I highly recommend it, uh, even if it's just to visit and experience what it's like in a different part of the world. Uh, it was it was eye opening, and the only time that I had culture shock, funny funny thing, and I've I've heard this from a lot of other people who have lived overseas as well. The only time I ever had culture shock was after coming back to the United States. Oh sure, because you when you're experiencing something new, everything's fresh and bright, and you're starry eyed, and then you come back to the world that you grew up with, and you're like, whoa, is this what I've been living in? Uh, and I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. It's just you have a new perspective on your own life, which is, um, you know, a really valuable thing. I think about that. So when you come back to the States from Korea, you feel, yeah, there's this surreal sense 
And yet you, as the observer, are able to hold on to this kind of consensus reality that must exist between these two cultures. So let me ask you this. Do you feel like there are things that people are doing that they don't have to? Like, are there kind of are there unspoken rules here that maybe exist as like that manifest themselves as more conspicuous like cultural things or more conspicuous to us as a foreigner in other places like what are some of the the weird like things that stand out now returning that's that's a great it's a great question and i'm going to be honest with you it's harder to put my finger on the things that stand out in american culture even after having seen a different lifestyle and come back like i could very easily point out the very obvious things in Korea, such as taking your shoes off. Also a thing I had to do in Japan, taking your shoes off when you enter a building. You know, I never taught in shoes when I was in Korea, for example. I had all these nice, fancy Oxford shoes, you know, the the wingtips and all this nice teacher gear that I bought so I could be the professorial type. And then I get there and they give me a pair of sandals and they said, okay, this is what you're wearing every day. I was like, oh, well, okay. Um, and then there's more subtle things like drinking culture. If you somebody offers you a shot of soju, there's certain not rules, but social etiquette. You know, if I'm drinking with a person who's older than me, who's my senior, then I would turn my head and not face them when I take a shot of alcohol, just a sign of respect. So that might be something that's a little more subtle that you wouldn't pick up on because nobody's going to yell at you if you don't do it. Sure. But coming back to the United States, I don't it was tough for me to put my finger on something that stood out. But I will say the first thing that I noticed that I think I never really appreciated was how diverse it is in the United States. Because I landed in LAX and had, of course, a you know, a layover and a delay. So I was there for a long time. Being in a very homogenized society, um, everybody has generally, there's a range of height and everybody kind of looks the same, especially in Seoul. A lot of the young people are dressing the same because they want to seem hip or whatever. Um, But when I walked into LAX, people of all different nationalities, races, creeds, colors, uh, religions, it it was really shocking uh, in a good way because I never was able to appreciate before the diversity that I live with on a daily basis. Um, and I did get a taste of that in Korea in like the foreigner bars, because that's where all the English teachers from around the world would get together. Um, I also think specifically in the South, we have a lot of social etiquette systems, um, that we don't, don't really appreciate as much, uh, living in them, being seated in them, you know, the way you greet someone, the way you shake hands, the way you say goodbye after you have a phone call, uh, things like that. But like I said, it's kind of, it's still kind of hard for me to put my finger on. And I wish that I could bring some of my friends who were born and raised in Korea back to the States to experience that because I would love to hear their input. Like, why do you guys do this? Like, why, why do you eat like this? X, Y, Z. Well, it seems overall that it's, I like the Sparta Athens as a loose comparison because it's a little bit more gentle. Like you're bringing less of the outside. It's like you have a certain surface on your foot 
that you grind up the outside the road with and that kind of stays outside and then you have this soft <laughs> sock foot and so it's like what you're physically doing to the thing like it's kind of the same with the like a knife and fork versus chopsticks it's like you're just grabbing it and moving it into your mouth as opposed to like slicing it in half in front of everybody right. you know it's it's tacitly less aggressive right i will say that's one thing i didn't miss in korea i never had to cut my food everything everything right. was prepared in bite-sized form at least when it comes to meat <laughs> but well, I, I i take that back actually when you go to what we think of as like korean barbecue restaurants um mm -hmm. they'll they'll bring out slabs of pork and you cut those with scissors so scissors are, are an important oh. utensil at certain meals but uh, other than that you know you're not they're cutting up a steak like everything's already pre-cut and then fried or cooked however baked however um so yeah I, I you know i came back and was like oh they just gave me the whole steak i gotta cut it up <laughs> never thought that was something i would miss hang on i just gotta get a bite of bite of delicious blackberry here hang on one second Good for the body and soul. Oh, yes. I've got right now, I've, I'm getting the combo of you enjoying the Greek yogurt and blackberry. And then I've also got a gentle rain. Beautiful. Here. Beautiful. I'm in the RV, so I can hear it on the falling on the roof. Of the I, I thought I heard it kind of poking through in the background. Beautiful ambiance. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been good, man. Like being home has been has been great. Uh, you know, it was a, a life-changing experience. Highly recommend anybody that can travel when it, obviously when it's safe and appropriate in the world we live in nowadays to do that. Um, and just, uh, you know, follow, follow Rick Steves' advice. I grew up watching him on PBS and he says, you know, when you're visiting a new culture, you're the guest, be respectful, but try and live like a person lives in that culture. Um, you know, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to eat the stuff that you would never have eaten before or drink the stuff you'd never would have drank before. Drank before. And uh, yeah, it, I highly recommend that. But now I'm back home playing music, doing the things I've always done, doing some new things, talking with you. And despite the circumstances in the world that surround us, I'm, I'm very, very satisfied where I'm at and happy to, to have my, my friends around. Have you still been working on pipe organs? I have. In fact, I go back to work um, this Thursday, uh, which is, is definitely a privilege. I'm very happy for that. Um, but I'll just be working in the wood shop, so I'll, I'll be by myself, obviously, isolated. But, uh, yeah, it's the reason I came home. Grandpa has been running a pipe organ building, tuning, maintenance business for 40 years. And he's ready to retire. He still loves the work, but he's just getting to the age. Can't lift certain components. Um, and my brother has been working with him for a decade. Uh, and they, you know, they said, we need another hand in the shop. This is not a one man job, not a one man show. We need at least two people. Uh, so I am coming home. I came home to learn the family trade and I've been living uh, pretty much in Lakeland exclusively where they have the business and learning everything that comes along with building, reading books, 
trying to figure out how not to mess things up. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been a, a really neat experience. It's really definitely, I don't think this happens much anymore, but it's something I've always been kind of enamored with. It's definitely a, a master apprentice sort of situation, um, which I always read about in old novels about the history of jazz, how, you know, Miles Davis would take young performers under his wing or, and they would just go on the road with them and be in an apprentice situation. And it's not the kind of strict education that we expect from a university or even a trade school. It's very much hands-on every day, making mistakes and then reflecting on, um, you know, why he made those mistakes in the first place and how to improve. Uh, so it's a really, it's a really great, uh, unique way to learn that I don't think exists much in the world that we live in, at least in, here in, in Western society, specifically in the United States. Oh, that's so beautiful. I feel like that's the kind of teaching and learning that keeps the mind awake, you know, like you're totally in touch with the priority of the moment and like the rhythm of what the actual job is because you're in it, you're hands on. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, to, to sort of support that idea, I was working in between two jobs in the shop. Um, we had pouch boards, which are big, long. It's just, just imagine in your mind, a piece of lumber. Um, you cut it into a certain shape so that it fits inside of a box usually a large rectangular box, three or four feet long. And then there's little holes that are cut into that box and leather pouches are secured to that. And then those pneumatic pouches, which are activated when air exhausts from that large rectangular box that it sits in, those pouches open up and allow air to flow into the pipe. So it's the most basic, uh, in, in our case, electro-pneumatic form of having a, a, a pipe speak, the basic uh, action or mechanism by which a pipe organ functions. So I was working on one of those pouch boards and what I would have to do is go sand down the pouch board and then bring it to the uh, drill press to cut new holes. And when you're working with like rule number one of the shop is no loose clothing, no gloves, no long hair, no long sleeves, no jewelry, no baggy pants, anything like that, because there's so many high-powered tools. Um, but when I'm sanding, I like to wear gloves because it, it, it destroys, you know, your fingers. It really puts a hurting on your fingers, especially if you've got tender piano hands like I do. Um, so I got lazy and kind of zoned out. I was listening to a podcast probably, and I did, forgot to take my gloves off before I went back to the drill press and my thumb got caught in the drill press and shattered it in two places. Yeah. Um, which, you know, as a musician and as a, as a woodworker, your hands are your most valuable tool. Um, and then had to subsequently have surgery on my hand and have fully recovered thanks to the miracles of modern medicine and some great doctors. Um, but yeah, like just talking about being, being in the moment, like the one time that I let my mind wander and wasn't present in that situation and constantly reiterating in my mind the rules of the shop and, you know, proper form and proper safety, 
was the time that, you know, I could have had my thumb just yanked right off. Um, which is kind of a gruesome story, wow. but lesson learned. I got lucky, and uh, now, uh, you know, I go through the 16-point security check before I activate any machine. <laughs> of course. I mean, the most valuable lesson, the perhaps the, ma- the greatest gift you could possibly be given is to go all the way to the end uh, threshold of the worst-case scenario, losing the use of this finger forever but then to have it completely restored and now to go back to trade having like gone right. to the edge and yeah no I, I agree I mean it it was um, I don't want to say a wake up call because it's not like I had been doing this for a long time and had slowly slouched off but it was definitely you know a pivotal experience for the young tradesperson to to go through that. I mean, if it had been back in the day when my grandpa started, he probably never would have gained full use of his thumb again. But, um, you know, talking about the importance of healthcare, um, I was lucky enough to be able to go to a doctor who just basically fixed it. You know, we, I had one surgery and he said, you know, you're going to sit in bed for about three weeks. You're not going to play anything. You're going to wear a goofy looking cast. And then you're going to be good. You know, lots of physical therapy, lots of effort. After that. But, uh, it was, it's definitely something that's really valuable. And I like it, liken it to the only time that I can think that I've had that experience in music is when I've gone on stage unprepared or gone to an audition unprepared and totally bombed. And obviously there's not a physical consequence to that unless you consider it the mental toll of that. But it was, it's a very similar situation, not in the moment, focusing on what you need to do and putting in prep work, you know. And as, an, as a musician, those were the experiences that really made me better. You know, you don't get better from the time you go on stage and perform and everybody claps. You get better from the time that you fail on stage and realize you got to work harder. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I (laughs) relate to that super hard, especially because the feeling that we're trying to create for people as artists is this feeling of tension and release of like developing a story and then having the catharsis of completing it. And you got to have some of that in your life. It's not to say that we all have to experience pain and suffering because there's all kinds of little like nice, healthy ways that don't involve right. you know breaking any bones in order to get catharsis but yeah it's about setting a goal and overcoming it or i don't know looking inward finding something about yourself that you want to express or develop or you know something like that and putting energy Definitely. into it intentionally what do you think would be if you had to like pinpoint maybe not the most but one of the most pivotal experiences that comes to mind specifically you know, for us both being musicians, I think that's common ground we can talk on. Do you have an experience like that you look back on that was tragic in some sense or maybe, maybe even not, but was just pivotal in shaping the way that you approached music? Oh, 100%. I mean, I had the good fortune of starting writing music when I was young, when I was 12 or 13. So I... When I was that age, I was 
writing stuff that was just arbitrarily uh, aggressive and angst filled, or, or not arbitrarily, arbitrarily or not depending on your sure. perspective, sure. you know, to, yeah, to me at the time, that was my truth. It was the, it was the pain of coming of age into a society that has weird ideas about adulthood and masculinity and all these things that for me as a as a smart kid you know I was good at standardized tests I could do that I could even play the music pretty well but sports no couldn't really do that and so I had all of these skills that seemed to me more useful in the long term and yet I'm in this weird social power structure where there are these other mysterious qualities and so you know that seem to get people ahead and so you know there's that struggle and then there's also uh heartbreak you know i wrote songs uh pining after lost girlfriends and stuff like that the perennial that's the perennial point of contact for a lot of creatives is like lost love whether that's romantic love or friendship or whatever else I also had a physical injury, though, that made, that gave me the fear of not being able to do the uh, things that I love and isolated me. I had a knee injury um, skiing when I was a kid and during fifth grade. And it was, you know, it wasn't obviously it didn't permanently take the use of my knee and it works just fine now. But it was a whole year of recovering and being in wheelchairs and uh crutches and all kinds of stuff and i think no matter when that happens anything that takes you like totally out of the normal stream of what everyone your age is doing kind of in i don't know it allows you this absolutely absolutely that if everything goes if everything goes right quote unquote goes right for you you know if you kind of are one of these people who has that a average b average in high school goes to that like solid college gets that corporation job the corporation happens to do well you know you happen to ride this little wave of money i feel like people kind of get spat out on the end and they don't really they're not able to you know they've become fish they're not able to see the water but if some kind of thing happens to you you know if it's an injury or uh you know for me like now um uh, feelings from my divorce, you know, come out in, I mean, come out in stuff I write now sometimes and, you know, certainly colored everything that I wrote while Absolutely. that was happening. You know, that's a, a, a tragedy. The end of any kind of relationship is a tragedy. And so it has that. But the cool thing about a tragedy is that it's just a play, you know, so <laughs> it can be inspiring. And when it's over, it yeah, I think over. I think that uh, that is uh, one of the privileged positions that a creative person has to be able to deal with uh, tragedies in our life and put them in the form of music or arts or dance or whatever else. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It, it's really, um, I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that all creative, you know, some people have said to me, Oh, you know, all great work comes out of a, a sense of loss or tragedy. And I, I don't agree with that. Um, I don't agree with that at all, actually. Um, but I do think it, it colors our experience in a very strong way in the short term, helps us process those feelings, and then becomes an integral part of who we are. 
and the people that are effectively right. able to live in the world can, um, you know, whether that's something you want to do or not, you know, maybe you don't want to live in the world we've got right now, but, um, but you can, you can use your creative tools as a way to process that in, in, a, in a great way. And the funny thing you mentioned, like having an experience that takes you out of the, the norm, uh, whether that's like a broken, like I, I got hit by a car when I was younger and broke my knee uh, and had to have surgery on that. So I, you know, and I didn't, I was like you, I didn't play sports. And so I was like, well, not a big loss for me. You know, I get to stay home and play video games for a little while. Um, and again, had parents who took care of me and invested in me and made sure that, you know, I had good doctors at that age, which was another privilege, but uh, it really opened up the world. Like something as simple as like, oh, I'm on crutches. How the heck do I get up these stairs? Um, but on, on, a, on a broader spectrum, I think our entire planet has been, has experienced an injury and everybody's been put in the passenger seat, so to speak, and has to view things from a different perspective. Like everybody, for example, if we just shrink it down to our, our country or our state, the state at home order has been really tough for people because it radically changed the way that we experience day-to-day -day life in our normal schedule. And I think it's really interesting the way that people have coped with that and done really well. Uh, and also the way that people have not been able to spend time alone with themselves. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a wake up call on, on a, a lot of different levels, obviously politically and in terms of how we take care of each other, but also individually. Uh, and for example, like I've seen, I've had more friends call me in the past three weeks asking, how do I work on, how do I do woodworking? Like I want to build a cabinet or I want to build a shelf or I want to refinish this piece of furniture I have. Um, and frankly, I think it comes out of a sense of boredom, which is, I, I'm sure you know, as a, as a creative person is one of the, you know, people think love or loss is a muse for creative people. But I think that boredom is probably one of the most powerful motivating factors in any type of Yes, boredom is uh, and so And a lot valuable. of people are experiencing boredom. And, you know, I've had a lot of friends who will work on a woodworking project. And then it turns out on the end that it, it really sucks. Or they made a mistake. Not, I shouldn't say it's, it, 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 was, it was bad, but they just made a mistake and it didn't materialize in the way they visualized it in their mind. And, you know, I, I, I kind of have to say to them, like, welcome to the creative process you have the visualization, you have the boredom to motivate you to do something that you want to do and create something new and beautiful in your life. Now you have to realize the other end of that is learning the technique and the skill and putting in the effort. And the only way that you're going to get around to doing that is if you don't have other things to occupy, occupy your time so that you can invest in, in those skills and learn and learn from other people, so on and so forth. Exactly. Yeah, it's the the creative spark. That moment is like this, the cresting part of a wave that comes like you've worked and created abundance in some kind of way to where I know that I can take the rest of this energy that I have before I sleep and I can reflect. I can look back at whatever I've done and I can record it in some kind of way. I can sing about it. I can bang on the drum. I can light a fire and tell people about it. 
And so that's a that's a blessing. That's like that moment of boredom is that moment of like ah right yeah it's it's a moment of like your your brain is is seeking an occupation um and you visualize something in the world that you want to create you see something that you could improve and make better uh and that doesn't just go for creative activities either um but generally speaking you know if you're in a situation where you're already working eight hours a day and you trying to stay healthy. So you go to the gym for an hour, a couple hours a day. And then you're, you know, you're also making meals for yourself. You know, that cooking is going to take up some time and energy. And then you get to the end of the day and you don't have much time to invest in practicing. Uh, you know, I, I, we both have taught and continue to teach music lessons. And how many times if you come back after a week and your student young or old is like, oh, I didn't have time to practice this week. Because, yeah, endless, because at the end of the day, you don't really want to put in the effort. And not only that, you also have a game on your phone that you really enjoy playing or like maybe, you know, you just got the Witcher 3 like I did and you're like, well, I'm just going to play the Witcher 3 instead of practicing. Because it takes a little, it takes a little bit of less effort and frustrating. There's there's a more immediate reward, um, and that's not to bash those things. Like, I'm a big proponent of video games, um, and I play them a lot. I think there's a lot of creativity involved in them. Um, but when it comes to developing a new skill in your life, you have to have nothing else to do. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily about willpower. I think at least in the beginning stages, it's about being bored out of your mind. And I, I just got to sit at the piano and make noise. Like I don't have anything else to do. Uh, and as a kid, that was, that was the only time that I really started to practice was when, you know, the power was out at our house or I got done with my chores and I didn't have, a Nintendo yet. So I would just sit down and play piano. Uh, and then eventually that develops into something that's more self-sustaining in the sense that you possess the skill to create something that's beautiful already. So you want to go back to it again for its own value. But in the beginning, it, I think it really is important to experience, experience boredom. Amen. Absolutely. It's in that moment of silence because it's like, I picture that as a moment where I all of a sudden am aware of like the cicadas or the rain falling or some kind of some kind of natural sound like wanders its way into my awareness because it's those little like it's the gap in between. It's like I haven't decided what the next thing I'm going to do is uh, I haven't, you know, the it got to the end of the record and I didn't put another record on. And I just spaced off for a second. Those little in-between, completely yeah. surrendered moments. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember riding home from Atlanta. I played a show with a guy that I hardly knew. He offered, you know, 200 bucks to go play a show or something like that up in Atlanta. So I went along. My my very dear, dear friend, Zach Brown, came along. And I played piano. He played drums. And the other guy sang and played guitar. <laughs> it was just a bar gig. You know, we went to like some Atlanta equivalent of Hooters basically. And it was a Friday night and everybody was drinking and having fun. <laughs> but, 
but you know, we're coming home at like 4 a.m. because the show gets done at one and we've got to pack up until two and it's a five hour drive back to Gainesville. And we're sitting in the car and we're exhausted and we're tired and there's, it's just silence. You know, the ride up, we were talking and we were chatting, we were pointing out things on the road, but now we've just sapped all of our creative energy. We want to be home in bed. And, you know, he, he kind of laughed. He's, he's much older than I am. Uh, and he said, you know, guys, this is the moments that we live for. He said, you'll never forget this moment, even though nothing is happening. And he was right. Do I remember the show? Not at all. I don't remember the songs we played. I don't remember the notes I played. I don't remember the people that I met. But I remember that moment in the car ride home because it was just silence and appreciating what we had done and that, that moment of a reflection that we had afterwards. Uh, and I really do think as a musician, you know, I hardly remember any of the shows. I might remember a high point or a low point. But the moments that I remember are usually afterwards when we're packing up the gear and we're chatting and debriefing and, and just, you know, being thankful for the opportunity to, to make the music that we did. And that only comes with some, some silence and some exhaustion and, and reflection. Amen, man. I have a similar memory driving home after being up all night uh, from Charleston to Gainesville, being people asleep in the back, I'm in the passenger seat, and Tupac is playing. But other than that, it's silent. And we're all just, well, not really. I mean, <laughs> my friend Johan, who's driving, and I are awake listening to Tupac silently everyone else is just dozing away. yeah those are the, those are the moments that we we live for as musicians man when when the when the work's all done and you can really think about what you've contributed to the world um so yeah that, that's a really beautiful thing but uh i've got a question for you so yeah. uh, i am plugged into a songwriting group right now uh, which before I say anything, I'm definitely going to pitch it to you because I, I would love for you to be involved. Um, and it's not, uh, Ooh, yeah. it's not a competitive group or anything like that. There's no awards giving out, given out. It's, it's just us writing a song a week for a month. And then we take a break for a month and then we start at the next month. And at the beginning of the week on Monday, we get a prompt and then we, write a song and it could be it, in fact it could be anything like I've written poetry for it which I almost never do uh, although I'm a firm believer in the idea that po poetry is the prototypical song um, or it could just be a chord progression or it could just be a melodic theme that that you think represents the the prompt or it could be very literal it could be you take the prompt and write lyrics specifically about that thing um, which in general has been eye-opening for me uh, and showing me the things that I'm good at, the things I'm not good at when it comes to songwriting. But um, you, you probably have more experience in songwriting than I do, but how, how would you approach, how do you approach, you know, sometimes it comes from a moment of inspiration, but if you're given an outside source, how would you tackle writing about a theme or a word or a phrase? Where would you start? Yes, I love prompts. So, yeah, I have a couple of very specific 
processes that I teach to people that are procedural. Procedural. <laughs> procedural. Yes, these procedural processes are as follows. Uh, I have one where, for instance, you take the prompt, you ask yourself a bunch of questions about the prompt. So, like, for in, it's, and you're trying to just get into like a stream of consciousness. So it's the same as if you were doing like a free association or a. Uh, uh, ink blots or you know you're trying to get into just like throw away stuff so let's say the prompt is um it's gonna be jug of water because that's what Excellent i'm looking prompt. at i'm looking at a three jug of water and so I, yeah so oh yeah so already yeah you for you and i i mean that's a very nice archetypal thing that's gonna get the gears turning but just i'm gonna start real real brass tacks i would say okay uh, where's the jug? And I'm not even going to answer the questions yet. Where's the jug? What kind of jug? What is it made of? What's in the jug? What could be in the jug? What's outside of the jug? Where's the jug? Who's got the jug? Jug, jug. Who's got the jug? What's the jug sound like? What does the jug smell like? Why is there a jug? Where'd that jug come from? I'm so I'm, I'm trying to find all of these things that are yeah. givens, so to speak. You're living like in the world of the jug. Perspectives. You're immersing right. yourself in, in this world. You're yeah, getting to exactly. know on a very yeah. so detailed level. Know. Yeah, but so that's, you know, there's the, the prompt is step one, then that exercise is step two. Step three would be going in and answering all those questions. And again, I'm just trying to do it as fast as I possibly can. So like, um, where's the jug? It's on the floor. Uh, what is the jug made of? It's made of beautiful, ornate porcelain. And then it's like, whoa, okay, porcelain. Now I've got, so I, I'm starting to have these little ahas where I get to an image that I like. And it's usually, yeah, like a material, an image, some kind of a thing that's going to be juicy. The ear is going right. to hear the lyric and be like, oh. And so I circle that. I'll circle that maybe. Or if I'm working on my phone, I'll put it in brackets or quotes or something. Or if I'm, if I'm uh coordinating with another technique i've got like a line a horizontal line down the center of the page and i have like a discard pile which is everything under the line okay. so maybe it moves up above the line something like that but you know i have i start to notice things that i like and um usually i'm looking for a hook first just because geometrically if the hook right <laughs> is the hub of the wheel of ideas and then the spokes you know it kind of just it makes the process easier i usually i like to say and i teach my students this uh the convention will work until it doesn't so like unless the convention is going to take you so long that you're going to completely not accomplish your artistic goal try the try the convention or some aspect of the convention or a convention that you know before trying to create right. some completely novel solution which is, I guess, is a fancy way of saying don't reinvent the wheel. But I feel like people are tired of don't reinvent the wheel and they don't really understand. So, like, you don't want to reinvent the wheel, but you do want to reinvent okay, the way I dig to it. tell people not to reinvent the wheel. We got to reinvent some of those cliches. Uh, but yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I guess the long story short, to answer your question, how would I uh, approach writing on a prompt? Um, I would probably for something like this where it's time bound, I would use one of these. Right. I think that's excellent. I think like that I already have. Essentially, place. what you're doing is um, occupying your mind with the the item at hand or the concept or 
whatever it is phrase at hand and letting your your brain carry you forward from there just just from what you know about what you can observe or know about jugs as a concept so i think that's really good i think my biggest issue <laughs> yeah, is like yeah. i'll settle down and then i don't allow myself to be enveloped by the idea and i'm too easily distracted um but I, I really like the idea of free association because you immediately get, you know, a small little world in which you can observe this item. And once you have more branches going off from that world, it allows your brain to occupy it in a, in a more meaningful way. Uh, I, there was a quote by John Prine that I saw recently. Yeah. And I, I don't remember it explicitly, but the, in principle, he was saying like, don't use a song to describe your feelings he says, describe the way it looks when you're feeling that. Describe the little brown ashtray with the half-lit cigarette and yeah. the, the feeling of the chair that you're sitting in and the smell of the room and things like that. Because if you're able to envelop yourself into that world while you're writing the song, then you're going to be able to much, in a much easier way, envelop your listener into that world and make it more emotionally impactful. Which makes sense because if you're just describing the way you feel in a song, if you're literally, I feel sad, I don't feel happy today, like that, that's really on the nose. Uh, and people are going to know what you mean, but it's a little too, you know, it might be a healthy way to communicate with people in, in real life, but, um, you know, to be able to express your emotions openly. But it doesn't, it's not necessarily compelling in, in a songwriting sense or, uh, you know, and it, to the listener, they're not going to be enveloped in the world that you're seeing. So I think it's really interesting for me, yeah. kind of bridging on what you said, is to be able to, um, and this isn't a novel concept at all, but I do think it's really interesting to invest some time uh, in the other senses besides, um, you know, just directly communicating something. So if you can convey the smell of a room and find an analogy or something that's going to perk people's minds up, then you're doing a lot more work than if you just told them explicitly what was going on. Now, just like when we were talking about, you know, the, what I was eating for breakfast and what you were experiencing sonically in your uh, RV with the rain hitting the roof like that automatically creates in people's minds a world that this conversation is existing in. And it's a touchstone for them to experience it in a way that's more valuable than if we just started talking. Oh yeah, I agree. I always think it, it does people way more good just to know that these specific people, you and I are talking about the things that we are. Cause who knows what the truth is you and i could both be wrong about everything you know if we were people 300 years ago people would be listening to it now and be like wow maybe these guys were smart on some level right, but everything exactly. they do is wrong because science is hmm. all different now very interesting yeah yeah so it's like you know just the it's a right. historical study of the present moment that is useful you know it's the it's the firsthand document you know you in uh public school we were given these little assignments where it's like you know you had some kind of it was a, a letter 
uh, from the Civil War or something like that, and you had yeah, to exactly, exactly about the historical current events. You know we call them about? current events uh, yeah. in in my history class, but obviously they weren't current events. Um, they were at the time, so but the idea was you're living in that time, so des describe it from your perspective. Um, very cool. Right. Yeah, because someone might not even know that anybody, that any person still exists who is an expert in working on pipe organs. Someone literally right. might not know that that person is still a real person. And even if one person moves from the universe where that doesn't exist into the universe where that does exist, I mean, that's, you change the yeah, whole that's person's crazy to think. reality. I've been reflecting a lot recently on how much knowledge we can hold in our brains and, and our bodies. I mean, it's not just our brain, but like muscle memory and trivial facts. And um, like, even today I was thinking, I know so many stinking songs and I can, in my mind, especially for the songs that I've heard my whole life, I can, I can hear them in my mind exactly as I hear them on the radio. Like before a song comes on, I could recreate that song in my mind with the, you know, Michael McDonald's voice, you know, hey, don't worry, I've been lied to, and just hear it perfectly. And then it comes on the radio and I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's exactly what it is. But right. that's just, and, and then I know all the chords to all these songs for the savants. I know all this stuff about pipe organ building, the, the amount of knowledge that a person can possess or is stuff that you don't even consciously know that you would immediately recall if uh, the situation required it. Uh, it. It's just incredible, incredible to me that, that we can just keep that floating around up there and then access it at any point in time. And obviously there's not great fidelity on memory, but uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it's stunning to me that we can hold on to so much, so, so much knowledge. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, the only <laughs> stuff I ever forgot was stuff right. that I was supposed to remember for a test. Yep. I remember everything else that ever happened to me, you know? Someone says, hey, you remember that time with so-and-so and they did the thing? Yep, sure do. And then I'll start talking to you all about it. I just need the right trigger. So it's like, you know, in the future, jobs will be designed well enough because we'll have big data about how work is done and how people are efficient. And they'll just, you know, we'll all have the right trigger to make us act the right kind of way. You know, when you had your moment where, uh, you know, you injured your thumb, I had my moment where I injured my knee. Both of these are times where the whole, all of our mental right. faculties weren't available because we were distracted in some kind of way. But right at the instant where that was about to happen, if just the right image would have flashed to kind of put you back in the moment, you would have just taken a breath, like, and then, like, looked down at your hands, calmly taken the gloves off. You know, it wouldn't have been like you would have gotten superhuman strength. It's huh. just that you would have been That's in interesting. the right Do you frame think of mind. that? Huh, I got to think about that. I got to mull that over for a minute. It's really interesting. So I know there's that concept of, like, oh, we only use 12% yeah. of our brains at any given point in time, you know, we might develop a, a super drug that would allow us to access our full brains. Like that's a pop culture idea, science fiction concept that's been floating around for a long time. Do you think that 
that's accurate or do you think that the picture that you're presenting might be a better way to describe it in that by seating yourself in the right context in the moment, you're able to more efficiently recall the information you needed or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I do. Well, to your point, I also think about how much information the human mind and body can hold because, you know, we include muscle memory and all of the stuff that we know about breathing, which is weird. If you <laughs> if you practice breathing, you know that you attain these other states of consciousness where you feel your body differently, you know, diff you experience uh, numbness, tingling, all kinds of things that in the moment are pleasurable not unpleasant um but you know we there's all this information in our in our mind in our body and in this other place where it's like you were somehow able to remember the same way quote unquote the same way even though you were kind of a whole different person like you could ask like opinion based questions or uh get like knee-jerk reactions about different subjects while people are more or less agitated you know, right. and you are way less agitated after doing different kinds of breath work. So there's all this, there's all of these places where information is stored. And yes, I do agree. I, I do think that uh, soon the AI will be big enough or likely already is. I mean, in theory already is. We could talk about that for <laughs> a very long time. Anyway, I think it's big enough in the future or in the present to know the profile of a human being. Um, like basically it can remember your whole life, right. even though you can't just because you're limited by your biology, but the AI, which can find the right image faster could show you the right image, put you in the right mindset. And then you would have the kind of combined recall of many subsequent moments where it's like, you know, you get, let's say you get a 70% on a test, but then over the next month or so, things happen, things cue you where you either remember the right answers or you learn the right ones. Right. So it kind of like the 30% is filled in somehow, but it's just, well, even in school, they told us, you know, back when we were taking the FCAT, I think that triggers. has since been phased uh, out, but, but they said study while you're eating a peppermint. And then when you take the test, we're going to give you a peppermint. So even that is something that is a sort of a rudimentary version of what you're describing because what what you're doing there is you're associating yeah certain types of knowledge consumption with an experience and then using that experience to recover that knowledge even if you didn't uh, even if you didn't memorize it in a uh in, in a way that you could use it actively it, it's still seated in your subconscious that's interesting huh i got i got to think exactly. about that that's I, that's something that i've never an idea that I've never really yeah. spent much time considering. Yeah, exactly. So now, this. I'm a robot. Uh, to any human being, I'm a magical robot. I look at you and I'm like, oh, Zach Emerson, you know what I know about you? I know that if I, if I synthesize these specific molecules and spray this liquid directly into your mouth, that it will taste like this thing. <laughs> that will make you remember something that you studied for a test when you were 12 and your teacher told, you know, it's like for me as a, as a robot with a very fast computer brain, 
super easy not difficult for me at all you know it's like a google search it's like super not a problem for me at all to do that i just need to have the technology i just need to be connected to the hardware right so will we in the future all have these guardian angel robots that float around and direct our our you know basically help us achieve uh an excellent level of recall or mindfulness How so? I think we already do. Like, I think that there's an... <laughs> I, be- I personally believe, just because it suits my fancy, that into the past are infinite uh, rippling waves of good intention that come from uh, just sources of natural love, like a mother bear for its baby bear. That interaction of two things that are separate interacting in a mutually loving way creates some kind of energy i personally believe and i think that it is rippling through us at all times so for us like we are what we consider an intelligence and we have what we consider technology and we have what we consider all of these things and we create what we think are effects on the earth in the same way that a hive of bees thinks that they affect the earth in some kind of way and if a bee explained to you what What? it was doing it would sound like some super crazy stuff it would be like well yeah i believe that there are these one kind of magical gods that live in the flowers and yeah any 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 sufficiently sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic but i would add an addendum on that that something that is a, a perspective that's so foreign from ours can also be viewed in a way that appears to be magic So yeah, yeah that, that's. I definitely uh, agree with that. Huh. Very cool. The the thing I love about you, Wilson, amongst a, a vast array of other things, is that you are always a mind expanding conversationalist. And uh, I really have enjoyed the podcast up to this point, and it, it's Thanks, a, it's an honor to even. I mean, I, obviously, we're just catching up as friends, but to be able to do this with you and hopefully uh, share share it with the world, and hopefully people benefit from it. So. Um, oh yeah well you are the type of person that i am very excited to give a platform to and links to this uh that are associated with dates timestamps will be posted on certain platforms that are attached to a piece of blockchain technology that will save the That's incredible. record of like <laughs> when we did this theoretically That's incredible. for as long as computers exist. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. We, I, I have so much stuff I want to get into with you, but uh, we'll have to save that for conversation number two. But um, uh, because I, I've got a lot to think about even in this, I'm going to listen we'll back to it and reflect again. on some of those, some of those ideas you're presenting. But uh, I did, I couldn't, it's hard to even communicate um, the potential that exists in the world uh, in terms of technology and everything else. I mean, it, it seems like every other day I'm opening up Reddit for some, you know, news source. And like today, for example, I, I opened up 
read it this morning while I was just browsing the, the news and um, saw that uh, I believe it was a Japanese inventor created a, it looks like a microphone. So if you know what an SM57 looks like, it looks exactly like an SM57, but the top has like five little electrodes on it and you can touch it to your tongue and they can recreate, convincingly recreate essentially any taste, any taste profile. So you, you lick this microphone and Whoa. suddenly you're tasting a strawberry milkshake and then you're shot all the way to the other side of the world and you're tasting um, kimchi in Seoul, Korea. And, and then all of a sudden you're having tikka masala oh my in that second. And it, it's, you know, I don't know if it's that detailed in the sense that um, it can recreate like specifically your grandmother's cooking, but it can recreate these taste profiles. It's like one of my favorite shows growing up or favorite movies uh, and favorite actors um, was uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And, um, you know, the girl eats the, the gum and it's like an entire meal and a piece of gum and she's chewing it. And it's like, oh, oh, I can, I can, you know, I can taste the apple yes. juice and then, oh, I can taste the, the meatloaf dinner. Oh my gosh. And there's potatoes with gravy. Oh, oh. And that's blueberry pie. And of course, then she blows up like a blueberry and then bloop is sing their song and they roll her off to be squeezed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like that we're steps away from that right now, you know, as long as somebody has the means uh, and the, technical intelligence to be able to produce something like that. I don't think there's a lot of limitations. I mean, I think there's physical limitations on certain things like faster than light travel. You know, there's, there's physical limits to the universe, which would take a lot more time for us to work around. But there's things that are so accessible to the human experience, like taste that we can just, you know, go lick an old microphone and then you've got dinner. Wow. You know, I licked a similar microphone in a club in Gainesville that now is closed, except it only did one flavor. It did this mixture of old Pabst Blue Ribbon and American Yeah, that's cigarettes. what I was going to say. Like, if you wanted to do this before, you'd have to go from club to club and lick microphones. Exactly. Yeah, you gotta or lick people. I mean, right. That, exactly. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a sort of some societal constraints on that. You know, there has to be consent and enthusiastic informed consent and and you know, but now you could just order a microphone from Japan and and eat dinner. But uh, yeah, that, it's it's really incredible, man. Just stuff like that to me is mind blowing. Even though it, it you know the article I read made it sound kind of goofy. Like, Oh, this is, you know, this is kind of a funny thing. Like who would do this, but that's the kind of technology that gives way, like just the ability to do that gives way to technology that can be massively helpful for people. Like if I'm dieting or have restrictions on certain things that I can eat, you know, even something as mundane as being lactose intolerant and I get a craving for a milkshake. Well, rather than going down to, you know, steak and shake, I just fire up my electronic microphone and, and zap myself a couple times and the cravings are gone. So, uh, yeah, really, wow. really interesting. 
really interesting stuff. Right. Yeah, and especially people who have deep emotional connections, perhaps to foods that are unhealthy. You know, like if you've got a cherished childhood memory, I could, someone told me they had, you know, there was a specific, it wasn't diet, right. it was one right. that was like, it's got to be the caffeine free or the sugar. It was a specific kind of weird Coca-Cola product, but it reminded them of their grandmother or something like this. And so they drank it, but it's, you know, they were saying that it became a problem when they tried to diet. And yeah, exactly. What if they could have just licked the magical microphone? tasted whatever the aspartame substitute right. craziness is yeah. and then it's, you know, it's really interesting one about their day interesting with a nice concept. Of water. um you know i i don't know um how much i love the idea of substitution through technology uh you know i'm i'm a little resistant to that because i do think that an integral part of the human experience as we touched on very early in this conversation is is the struggle and the sweat and the tears and everything else that happens. So, you know, I, I do have some qualms with instant gratification, but, um, you know, used in a benevolent way, uh, you, you can't argue that technology and medicine have not vastly improved the world. I mean, again, talking about what we talked about earlier, I wouldn't have full use of my thumb if it weren't for the medical advancements that we have now. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, somebody somewhere along the human timeline believed in the impossibility. Someone said, no, no one's ever repaired a thumb this damage. Right, Someone yeah. Said, I and can. you got to think about how many and thousands of people contributed to that at that point in time when it was created and the generations that came before that to be able to create the technology, like you gotta have a video camera, you know, they have to stick a video camera in there so they see what they're doing. You gotta create these tools, they gotta have electricity, you know, uh, they have to have, you know, an anesthesiologists there that can put me under in a safe, controlled environment, all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, you should, well, you should really be writing songs, which we should both be writing songs about all the exactly. people who almost had important joints fixed in and their bodies. <laughs> Those are the people that we really owe our quality of life to. It's the doctors, sure, they, you know, that's hard work, that's smarts, but the people who, who <laughs> yeah. thought they were going to be fixed. And, and it all starts, and it, it all starts out, back in Sparta. For those people. We need to be and those people. And a guy returns from battle with a broken thumb and... They say, okay, sip on this strong wine and we're going to chop it off because we can't save it. And that guy had the idea, well, what if we could fix it? And then it was a long chain of historical events and advances and miracles of, <laughs> right. of, of medicine and science and technology that led us to the moment where I was able to re restore my thumb and you and I were able to write a song about it. Oh, wow. How cathartic! Thank you for providing that beautiful moment of catharsis. Let's yep. let's end. Tune in there. next time we'll for our song like from Sparta to wave that we'll to something. We'll workshop some same ideas. Oh yes, thank you. Well, uh, I don't so have social media. Uh, where can never had to do a plug before, so I don't I don't do social media. But you can just follow the Savant of Soul, which is a band that I've been in since 2016. We're releasing a ton of new music throughout the summer. So uh, if you need, you know, just a mental break from 
the struggles of quarantine and the world we live in, soul music has and always will be a go-to way to, um, you know, to, to live comfortably in the world and, and enjoy something outside uh, outside of space and time and just put yourself in that kind of place. So uh, check us out. Uh, otherwise, if you want to look at organs, check out uh, WH Longmore and Associate, Associates, William H. Longmore, L-O-N-G-M-O-R-E, Associates. Uh, and you can email them uh, with it, them, I, I say, but it's just me. I, I run the website. So if you ever wanted to get in contact with me, I guess you could do that. Uh, and I'd love to talk to you about organs, leather working, metal working, metal casting, um, the mechanics of the construction and performance on a pipe organ. Um, it's a really interesting thing. Um, but otherwise, that's pretty much it. Check out my music. Check out the creative works I do. And if you want to, if you really want to talk to me in person, you got to find me downtown sometime. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was an honor and a pleasure. And hopefully, I'll, I'll uh, see you soon when when, when it's safe to be together again. All right, man. See you soon. Bye bye. Likewise. Bless.